So can you hear me? I I I put the mic on because we have dogs and we just got a new dog two days ago, so the dogs have all been going crazy and oh, help yeah. eliminate that. Can you yeah. hear me? Okay. Yeah, we are good and we are live. What's up, Scott Town? Hi, Brent Moore. How you doing? I'm good. It's good to speak to you again. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to have more dedicated focused chat this time versus you know trying to squeeze in everything as quick as possible so i could get to more people in one night yeah of course that was was specific subject matter last time too yeah how's stuff going on your end oh good super good busy that's good always good good been otherwise but mostly bmx yeah Good. So, uh, I have heard so many different people from so many different areas be like, Oh, Scott, that's awesome. (laughs) And it's, it blows my mind how, how like involved, but that you are with things, but that people wouldn't necessarily on the outside even have any idea of. Yeah. That's kind of how it's always been for me, honestly, like just going back to everything, like my first job as a magazine guy is like a journalist, you know, like, you know, if they read the credits, the photo credits or the masthead in the magazine, they would know who I was, but you know, even then it's just a name. Yeah, exactly. Huh? Yeah. um, So where did, where did everything start for you? Like, even before working in the industry or anything, like what is the first memory of BMX that you have? Dude, I'm so old that it, <laughs> I, the the things I reference will be insane. But um, like every, I feel like everyone my generation has the same influence. Even like Matt Hoffman, who's younger than me, like his Evil Knievel is such a huge one, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was so into motorcycles even before that, like always wanted to be a motorcycle guy. And I had a motorcycle before the BMX bus, but uh, like motorcycle racing or anything like that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. But there were some really specific things. There was a the Boy Scout magazine called uh, Boy's Life. It might still be around for all I I remember that one. Yeah. Um, they had an article on BMX with BMX guys on the cover. I could pull it up in 30 seconds. Um, I got that. And then my mom would buy me this uh, motorcycle magazine called Mini Cycle Action that had like, like would be like under 100 cc motorcycles. Like this is we're talking like 1974, like so long ago. And they started having more and more pedal cross articles. They didn't even it wasn't even called BMX. They didn't even know what it was called yet. So. Um, that's like the super early, early, early stuff. And Holy then, cow! That that boy's life cover is. I think it says September nineteen seventy seven. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> so started, cool. So maybe I'm wrong on that. Like me, because I started racing BMX in May of nineteen seventy seven. So it was before that. But that oh. that was an early one, and I already had. But the Minicycle magazine is really the first. There was a BM. There were BMX newspapers, but I, you know, I'm from. I live now where I grew up. Like, there was nothing here. You know, like, BMX didn't really exist here any earlier than that. 
like the the first track I think started the year before I started racing, but it wasn't around here. Like I didn't know what it was. I'm gonna keep my hands in my pockets so I don't do anything like I did last. <laughs> no, don't sweat it. So I started doing that. I started getting you got the super cooler i had i plotted all these things i was gonna find the biggest cooler i could find and like drink out of it did, but i'm actually drinking out of a water bottle today with some emergency in there but i do still have the super jug super jug brent moore signature super jug listen i tried to get in touch with them, but they did not care. They shut you down, they didn't care. There was, I got no response. But, so, you said you're living where you're originally from. Where is that? Uh, it's a small town outside of Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is not, but <laughs> not, not a super big town. Okay. It's called Otsego. Otsego. So, what was, like, the closest thing for you to ride and do whenever you were first starting? Well, I mean, I grew up in the country, so we always, you know, we built jumps oh, right. and stuff like that. It's so funny to think, like, the first year when we really were racing BMX. There was a BMX track. It was at a motorcycle track about a half an hour from here. Um, and when we started, my friend Larry found out about that through the bike shop where he bought his bike. And we started racing there. It was a big deal. But then, like, everyone at their house built, like, a little track, and we would have little neighbors. Okay, so how old would you have been at that time? Twelve. Twelve. So I'm fifty-seven. I know you. I know you want to ask, but don't want to ask. <laughs> I. It hadn't crossed my mind yet, but so you started forty-five years ago. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Holy cow! It's hard to get my mind around that, dude. Like it. Like I have a picture of my dad. Like they would have Father's Day races or Father's races. I think this one might have fallen on father's day mm -hmm. the bmx track and like the dads who get on bikes and dads you know because bmx is new like i just said like this was 1978 when this picture i'm talking about and bmx didn't exist before that my dad was like in his mid 40s like he wasn't that old you know like yeah but him on a bmx bike was the scariest thing ever and like that he was one and done with that one race and it's such a rad photo because my dad's gone now but <clears throat> i have a bike just like the one he's riding and I even tried to I tried to replicate the photo at one point. It's pretty funny, but that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. It means a lot, but it, but anyway, the point of that is just how crazy it was that he was like mid forties, and you know he's my dad. And I had no other reference of age, you know. Mm -hmm. Now when I, uh, you know, like I'm like I'm, I'm not just old for a BMX dude. Like I'm like getting old, old, you know, like. I could belong to AARP. I haven't signed up, but I got, <laughs> like it's ridiculous. And I get it. Like I'm not delusional about how old I am, you know. But I don't, I don't dress with like a Detroit Lions sweatshirt and a Cabela's camo hat and some weird wash mom jeans and white New Balance, you know. Like I don't look like dudes my age, I guess, or a lot, you know. Well, I think that's a good thing. You know, I'm not trying to dance around anything, but. You it's have just, an identity. Yeah, I try to, I try to have some some dignity more than anything. Heck yeah, you yeah. should. I mean, it'd be, it'd be lame if people just hit a certain age and like, oh, guess this is my outfit now. Yeah, it, and it is for so many people, you know. Um, that, and that, like, my kids aren't that. My kids are pretty young. Like, I don't. How old are your parents? I'm probably. 
My dad's older than you. He's All right. six. He was born in sixty, so he's sixty-three. Yeah. So my sister is that same age. So <laughs> that's like it's not that far. How old are you? Twenty-nine. Oh, you're twenty-nine. Okay. Yeah. Now, when I was twenty-nine, I was so freaked out about getting old. When I was twenty-seven, I was like, dude, I'm. That was the first time I remember like riding around Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo is a big college town. Mm. And tons of good spots for, you know, it's not really a huge city, but being like really self-conscious about being that old and riding around. That was the first time I ever really felt that way. Yeah. Uh, Robert Cardoza said, okay, Scott, I'm 61 and still racing. Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. When you were in ET, bro, we know, we know. (laughs) No, I know there's lots of dudes that are older than me and I love that. Rick Malaterno's got two weeks on me. I always like keep that in mind. Like, two weeks. Two weeks. Yep. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. seen? Go ahead. You go ahead. I was just gonna ask if you've ever seen that guy from Russia, Mendo, who's like seventy at this point, but yeah. his, his edit he put out, he was doing air to fakies and fly out threes and foot jams and. Yeah. That's rad. See, like that guy's, that guy's too old to have been into bmx as a kid right exactly like, yeah. kid, like there was no way there was bmx until probably the 80s you know mm-hmm. when he was like in his 20s right so, yeah, i love that he didn't I, start till he was 62 yeah right i've heard you talk about i think i know more about him from you talking about him than anything. probably and i know you've given me like i did that edit a year ago and you reviewed it and gave me tons of props and i really i really appreciate that um i think a big part of that and even doing stuff like that and always posting photos of myself, which seems so narcissistic, but it's just to kind of keep other people stoked, to get other people stoked that are older, that are maybe like, oh man, this sucks, I'm too old or whatever. Like just to keep people motivated and keep me motivated, you know, honestly. Absolutely. When I ride, I'm like, I get to a point, like at a session, like if I go to this, the downtown, oh, there, oh, the hands are starting, they're starting. Um, like i'll just be cruising around it'll be windy or something i'm like man i don't even feel like riding but i want i always want to ride every and i do ride every single day but like i just want to ride every day but that sometimes that's what motivates me I'm like, all right if i get the gopro out i know i'll like you try to go higher and get a little clip or whatever and that that's a good kind of motivator sometimes too and it's not because i have anything to prove to anyone else i just know it'll, it'll make me bump it up too much I mean, that's kind of how I use videoing sometimes too, is like a, because when you ride by yourself, it's easy to just be like, oh, I don't feel like doing anything. But then I film and it's a totally different motivation of just not necessarily doing it because I'm filming, but it makes it easier to pick something and hone in and just do stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And right, I and I ride by myself almost all the time like my kid both my kids skate my my older son Noah skates pretty much every day mm-hmm. no he does skate every day but doesn't skate with me every day necessarily he's a senior in high school like he's busy and I, I get that but we have a mini ramp here and he skates he skates that more than anything lately but like you know he and I go to the skate park and there's a I have a good crew of skater friends that are older like in their 40s that are super fun that it's kind of a new crew to me like some of them I've known a few years but and they're super, they're just rad, fun guys, and they become like real life friends besides just the skate park. But they're skating, you know. Mm-hmm. 
and I skate too, but I, you know, there's always a point where I pick the bike up and, and ride that. But yeah. So I'm curious. I mean, you said that you started with racing and you, everybody had a little track and stuff. So where did real freestyle where you were like consciously trying to learn and do more tricks than you were just, you know, going off of a jump and, you know, taking a foot or two off or something. When did that start? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because that's, uh, that's interesting for me because I was a racer. Like I raced, I raced all the time. Like I never stopped racing from 1977 until like the, um, like 1990, I think. Um, and I was always really into jumping and everything. And even though I wasn't necessarily great at it, but I always wanted to do that. But in the early 80s, with, when freestyle started really becoming more of a thing, like we would try like the most basic tricks, like a rock walk. You know what a rock walk is? I like think so, like, yeah. But it's like a front, it's like half a G turn. Pivot, kind of pivot, front, pivot, pivot. Pivot, pivot, yeah. That was like the first trick how-to that was in the magazine. And we learned that. And of course, like wheelies and real basic stuff but when like real flatland i started coming around like i couldn't do it and it was it made me super crazy because i'm like dude i'm a good bike rider and i can't do any of this and <laughs> i get real frustrated with it and just didn't do it and I, I didn't really know how to ride ramps like we didn't have ramps and my good friends um kind of took to freestyle and they just started riding freestyle more while i still was like racing and we started skating too and like they, I would be skating or just jumping off stuff on my bike when they were working on flatland tricks. I never, I still can't ride flat. Flatland is hard. Like I crashed last week riding flatland in my car. And it's like if someone, like I, I'm not easily embarrassed. Like someone saw that. It was so pathetic. Just like tripping over the bike and falling in a heap and really like just eating shit because my foot was like stuck behind the giant pegs on my flatland bike. <laughs> um, but. To answer your question, I really didn't start riding, like, freestyle until it became, like, street style, like, in the late 80s, when the, <laughs> the first, um, anyone that knows me is going to mouth the words along with me as I say them, but the first Meet the Street contest, oh, Dave, yeah. Dave Volker won and all that, um, that that was like game changer day for all of BMX as far as I'm concerned, but it, it was for me too, you know, and like, like that's when wall rides were a real new thing and stuff like that. And that's, that's what I was into. And I really, I really did take to that. Cause that was kind of skateboarding influence. And I was really into skating at that point too. So how long would you have been riding at that point? I mean, I started racing in 77, 88. So, you know, 10, 11 years later. That's so wild to consider. Yeah. Huh? And you'd been like 20 something. Yeah, early 20s, probably 20 in 88. I was 22 or 23, I guess. Yeah. That's crazy. So, how long would you say it would have been before you went to the first skate park that you ever went to? Well, I went to. Well, hmm. the first skate park I went to was in Kalamazoo. There was a cement skate park called Cosmic Waves that was built in, like, I'm not sure what year, probably 77. Yeah. I didn't skateboard then. And my dad wasn't having, wasn't buying me a skateboard because I was DMX dude, and he's spending so much money on DMX bikes and everything. Like, right. Happened. The very first time I went to a skate park was on roller skates. No way. I swear to God. And it was gnarly. Like, this 
park was like this big downhill run that went into this giant bowl and it wasn't very well built. It was all kind of wavy and it was gnarly. Like I got kind of tore up. I convinced my friend to go with me and we were just killing ourselves trying to roller skate. And then a couple of years later, they started, they, they didn't allow bikes. Mm. Story of my life, you know, going back hey. to 1979. For real. Um, they, uh, they started allowing bikes. I think they needed the business and we would go there, but it was kind of hard to get to because I didn't drive yet or anything, but we would just like jump out of the bowls and, but it was really fun, but we didn't know how to do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, and to be fair, like the skate park was so poorly designed, like the snake run. When I think about the snake run now, I feel like you could like gap over the hips kind of maybe, but it was real, it was real weird. Yeah. I'll tell you a quick story about that. That was another defining moment in my life. They, the park was real kind of funky, but at one point they built this really nice bowl, like a modern bowl that, you know, parks have now with coping and everything, like a kidney pool. And it wasn't huge, but it was big. It seemed big to us. But we would try to fly out of that. Kind of, we didn't know what we were doing. But this skater dude was like, hey, let me can I try your bike? Like this older skater dude. And he hopped on my bike, and he didn't air anything. He was ripping around the bowl, like carving, like figure eights and everything. And my mind was blown i was like oh I, you know it was just a revelation it was just huge and that i mean that was probably 19 that might have been 1981 by then you know but yeah but that was kind of it and then that skate park closed and there were no skate parks there weren't skate parks then you know when i moved to california the pipeline skate park was there and i did get to ride that a couple times which was rad and got to <sighs> Cool, you know Eddie Fiola riding it and stuff like that, which is a pretty big deal back then. Oh, that so, is awesome. I have photos. I have a photo in the magazine of Eddie, just like one little black and white photo of Eddie riding the pipeline. That's when I was first starting to take photos, and then they uh, that part closed. So when did you move to California? In 1986. Okay, so wow. So you would you say you moved to California before you really got into freestyle or right yeah. when it was happening? No. I mean that I mean freestyle was definitely a thing like Freestyling magazine, which BMX Action magazine is like the magazine and there, there are a couple other magazines, but that was the main magazine. And then BMX Plus, which is where I worked. I got the mm. job at Plus. Um but Freestyling magazine came out in nineteen eighty four and Freestyle had been in BMX action for a few years at that point. Like like all of the 80s, like starting in like 1980, 1981 to like there more and more freestyle would be in the magazine. So, but I, and I liked it and I, I was really into like the skate park riding and stuff like that, but it family just didn't have skate park. So. Yeah. You no. Know, what that, made you move to California? Oh, I, I got that job at BMX plus. I went there to work for them. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Did you have any other jobs before that in life, or was that the first real one? Well, my dad started, my dad was a gunsmith, and he had, like, a resale tax license. So, like, as soon as I started racing BMX, he was like, these parts are expensive. I'm going to, we got to find a place to buy them so we can buy them wholesale. <laughs> and he got an account, he set up an account with this distributor in Florida, <clears throat> and uh, he made me call and order the parts when I was 12. Wow. Uh, just trying to order stuff that was clearly not for a bike shop. I'm ordering like one frame pad and a pair of grips and all these random things. And the guy called me out. He was like, are you calling from a shop? I mean, this sounds like an order for you. 
no, no, because my dad had kind of debriefed me like, no, we have a shop. And we did, we, he did have a gun shop, but he didn't, he didn't have a bike shop. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been working in the industry since I was 12, like, you know, I guess. But yeah, but I really was like dealing with the distro, which I've worked for two distros now. But um, he eventually opened a real shop and I worked there. Oh, that, okay. Like, and like actual brick and mortar bike shop opened in 1984. So I'd worked there for two years by the time the California thing came around. Gotcha. Is that family bike shop that you're talking yep. about? Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. You literally BMX has been your entire life. Yeah, really. I mean, in the 90s, like, so in the, we could talk about this history stuff because the history is so long. Um, Let's, let's abbreviate abbreviate that and we can we can talk about other stuff um but pmx really died in the late 80s and the magazine i worked for just dried up like just called us in one day like hey our main advertiser advertiser that had been advertising multiple pages every month like magazines are supported by advertisers mm -hmm. is pulling out so we're done we're closing up shop sorry wow like oh cool thanks and that was it and I got an, an offer to work. I didn't really try to get a job there. I was kind of over California. I wanted to move back to Michigan, and I did. And when I moved back, I did freelance. Um, I worked freelance for Freestyle and, and BMX Action Magazine and was able to do that. So what's that like? What's it like being a freelance like photographer, I'm assuming, in yeah. it, it, that period of time? Yeah. It was a trip. Um well, only I'll tell you what was a trip about it, but it's like, hey, can you go to the King of Vert contest in Toronto? Mm -hmm. That's one that I did, right? Mm -hmm. Where Matt Hoffman did the first 900, like I took the photos of that. that Damn. Like, pretty rad. Like in the video, like I'm standing, I see myself on the deck and it's it's pretty awesome. I I definitely always like to bring that up because it's, it's so cool. Like I got to witness some really rad stuff and that was that was one of them. No doubt. If people have been trying 900s, like, I don't know if you know who Mike Dominguez is, but he yeah. came so close and he's rumored to have done them, but like by himself at his house and no one saw it and stuff like that. And he rode Skyway Tough Wheels. And I swear to God, if he was riding spoked wheels, he would have landed the 900. <laughs> tough Wheels are so flexy, like, he would, they would like flex out and he would crash. But anyway, when Matt Hoffman pulled that, it was pretty insane. But the, the crazy part is I'd have 10 rolls of film. This is all film, keep in mind. And I would shoot the photos and either give them to, like, the writer from the magazine, Mark Lumen, was at that event, so I just handed him the film. But other times I would mail the film to the magazine, and I would never see it. I would never see the pictures or anything, only what was in the magazine. Only the photos that were printed is all I would ever see. And you don't know if they're good or bad. or It seems like... Most of my freelance gigs, well, a lot of them, like that was indoors, like shooting indoors with film that's all with flash. And even the Matt Huffman 900 sequence, it's only three frames because it was like the end of the event. My batteries are dying and like glad I got any photos of it, you know? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, it's a trip. It's like a different it's so, world. Yeah, it's so much different now. You take a picture and you look at it and like, okay, it's underexposed. Or you can fix it in Photoshop and stuff in that. I mean, color film, especially back then, like, you, there's that was it. Like, black and white, they could touch up, they could develop it. And, and um, 
tweak it a little, but not much. You know, it would look bad if they did usually. So yeah, like where the the names of the tools in Photoshop come from, like dodging and burning and, and exactly. all that stuff. Burning is exactly it. Like if someone's face is dark in a black and white photo, they would like dodge and burn it. That's and you can tell. Like I could tell. I could look through a magazine now and see because the the face would be kind of washed out and like kind of the contrast is different than the rest of the picture and stuff like that. It looks terrible. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about how different things were back in those days. And I, I'd almost argue that to an extent it makes it that much more special when you get that photo that is the one. Oh, yeah. But you, like one time I one time I went, Mike Dominguez, who I was just talking about, I went to his house to do a photo shoot, just me and he and Brian Blyther and Ron Wilkerson, who were like the biggest dudes of the day. And I did a whole photo shoot with them and I had the ISO setting on my camera wrong somehow. And they just, they were just too high or too low uh, Too I think too low. So the photos were all like pitch black, literally just unusable. Not even, not even photos, just like blank rolls of film. Oh, that's oh, I would even not notice that. It's insane, but didn't. But that would never happen now. If you take a photo with your phone, you're like, oh, I, could, I need to take it again. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't always great, but yeah, but it was cool. But it, and I don't want to sound like I don't want to wax nostalgic too much on that. But the magazines were all there were back then. They weren't even really videos. Mm-hmm. Although I, BMX Plus put out videos, and they're still. In circulation and if i send you a link to one you'll play it and i'll be super embarrassed because it's uh there's two actually one i'm speaking i'm on camera with my hands flailing around big shot <laughs> like i introduced a video and talk about safety gear but the other one i perform a rap that's the intro to the video Whoa. so i saw your eyes light up when i said that Whoa. <laughs> BMX, bmx plus uh, freestyles raddest tricks part two rad tv the sequel or some some convoluted name I, I can't remember it but i'll find it for you brand you'll like it oh, i'm excited for that so was it was it easy to be a freelancer in the bmx world at that point in time or because no. go ahead sorry i was just because they were sending you places and and whatnot yeah i mean it was you they were usually places that I could drive to. Like Toronto's seven hours from here. It's not yeah. corner, but I would go to like the Christmas Classic in Ohio, <clears throat> Columbus, Ohio, and like the MBL Grands in Louisville and stuff like that. I um, gotcha. Or if like a touring team was coming through, I would shoot photos with the GT guys or something like that. But there was only, you know, two magazines, BMX Plus. I because I quit that job to work for a different magazine at one point like I wasn't uh, necessarily they weren't asking me to shoot freelance for them you know um so it was kind of few and far between and then keep in mind BMX is pretty dead at that point too so and <laughs> not quite dead but like dying and it really it really by like 91 like there was nothing going on that's when you know Matt Hoffman kind of single-handedly tried to resurrect all the BMX and did a did a pretty good job man that dude deserves more credit than he gets, even though he he gets a lot of credit. But like, he really headed up the the movement to keep things alive, you know. And I, racing was always going on. Like racing is its own deal. But 
Yeah. It's still there. The mad dads fuel the racing world and keep it alive. God, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about racing because I won't have anything positive to say. <laughs> That's fine because I don't know anything about racing. Yeah, I like racing. I still I haven't raced in, in a while, but I mean, every few years. But I mean, I usually race a couple times a year. I just need to build up a new race bike. I don't like aluminum kind of modern race bikes, you know? Yeah, I gotcha. Uh, so at what point did you first start working for a BMX company rather than a magazine? I didn't really work for a BMX company until... Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Because I worked for Dig in 2009. I sold ads for Dig. And I contributed to Dig a few times, a few pieces. But that's when Dig was like bi-monthly or whatever it came out. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked for Edney's for that super long time. And I dealt with like BMX accounts and stuff. But a BMX company, I think the first BMX company I really worked for I did, I had a short run with this kind of startup distro that worked with BFD and the company Deluxe, but it was a really short deal and that was a long time ago. And that was right before Dan, so it was, 2000, it was probably 2009. It was a long time before I worked for an actual BMX company. I gotcha. You know, like selling photos to GT and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So Dan's comp, I guess, would be the answer, the real answer as far as a real job. That started in 2010 and I worked for them for seven years. Nice. What were you doing there? I did. Uh, uh, I was the marketing and media coordinator. So eventually, that meant like social media manager. But back then, it was like blog. Like I updated the blog every day. And yeah. and I worked with like Vital BMX, and we sponsored events, and I coordinated all that stuff. It was. I mean, it was a busy job. It was a real job. And then, because my background before that was really based in like shoes and clothing and all that. When the buyer's name is Vanessa, the guy you really probably get that job. That's how I, I had the relationship with Dan because I sold them Etnies and had been selling them Etnies for a long time. And they, you know, they bought and sold a ton of Etnies shoes. Um, but he left and I was like, he called me. I remember, dude, I remember where I was when he called me. Like I was going downtown Kalamazoo to ride by myself on like a Sunday. And he's like, hey, he called me. What's he calling for? Like, I worked with him every day, you know? Like, for him to call me on Sunday seemed weird. He's like, oh, I just need to let you know I'm leaving. I got this job in, back in New York where he really loved New York and wanted to move back there all along and everything. <clears throat> like, as soon as he told me that, I'm like, God damn it. Now I'm, now I'm going to be the shoe buyer. I'm going to be the softest buyer. And that was great. And that, I mean, I was the guy to be that guy for Dan's and mm -hmm. I had a good run with that you know like like other and it, it was kind of sold to me that way too it's like well you know if times get tough you still we're always going to need buyers but marketing guys are the first to go <laughs> like oh say, yeah that's kind of foreshadowing I mean I've been through that a couple times now you know like very recently as a matter of fact so yeah yeah so the dance comp thing I don't I don't want to talk too much about that gig because it was a good run and then it 
wasn't and it ended. So, I mean, I've been, I've been around BMX through so many cycles and now we're in another cycle where it's crazy. And I mean, they're all hard, but like something's always, something's always still in motion, you know, yeah. like, no part of it that's dead. I don't like BMX isn't dead at all right now. I think BMX is strong in a lot of ways. It's just complete bikes are a really tough sell and that's the bulk of everyone's business. And we, you know, we covered this last time and everyone knows it. We don't need to talk about it, but yeah, that's, that's where it's at, you know? Yeah. I've asked a few people who've been riding since the eighties and been involved with BMX, the industry, this question, but do you feel like there's a time period that would be appropriate to compare right now to in BMX? No, not at all. I mean, 2012, there was <clears throat> like a glut of bikes. There were too many bikes and discounting going on kind of like now, but uh -huh. it's way, 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 way worse now, way deeper. Yeah. I, I've heard from a couple people, they think maybe 2024 might be when we start to see coming yeah. out of this. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably accurate. I mean, I, shit, that's pretty optimistic, honestly. It's 2023 already, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want to go into any details, but I have intel on <laughs> more than one company. Like, I, you know, people, there's just so many bikes. Not, and not every company is the same. Yeah. Racing's different. And some, you know, some companies, without naming names, like, some companies are, you know, the, most companies have their products made overseas at various factories but a couple of companies are owned by the factories, So they're okay. You know, like that gives them oh, yeah. ability, you know? Yeah. And that's not a, that's a good thing. And it's certainly good for them. Mm -hmm. so yeah. I, mean, I recently learned that and I, because I didn't, I didn't know that. And, and it's definitely a saving grace for those companies through this next year, however long it takes. Sure. And if, if some help, companies are healthy i think it helps the rest of the companies to keep some sort of checks and balances and hopefully some some hope or just keep the market from going completely insane and you know fire sale that's kind of gone on a little bit but hopefully that slows down hopefully the flames settle a little bit <laughs> yeah i mean what do you think it's going to take for that to happen is it just gradually over time people buy more bikes until they're gone or what yeah, that's the problem. It's just that there's so many, there's just so many bikes in the pipeline, and the people that bought bikes during COVID, that, you know, didn't it didn't take root. You know, they didn't stay with BMX like they went back to soccer or whatever. You know, my kid's a big soccer player. Like, he, that's when he started skating every day. Like, I'm gonna skate every single day, and he still does, but more now out of commitment than anything. But you know, that's when people started. We we'd go to the skate park literally every day. You know, because we had time, and that's that's the whole story with everything. That's why everything sold. And that's why exercise equipment and you know, fishing. Mm -hmm. Sure, I don't know anything about it, but I'm sure they did. Motorcycles did. I mean, I sold. I'm motorcycle guy too, and like trying to buy and sell motorcycles then was crazy. Like, name your price on old dirt bikes. You know, and mm -hmm. wild. But with bikes, like a BMX bike, yeah, a kid, even if a kid's using 
let's say a kid bought a BMX bike in 2020 that was 15. Um, I'm saying 15 just so you can assume they've already, like they're not still growing rapidly or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> a well-developed 15-year-old that's 5'10". Like he's doesn't, he might buy some new parts. Like let's say he goes to the skate park once in a while. You know, it's just like an average rider, but he still rides that bike. Like he's probably not going to buy a whole new bike again. Right. And that's like, that's on the positive side. The kid that just bought the bike, rode it that summer and doesn't, ride it anymore like that bike might be for sale now on facebook marketplace or or whatever so those bikes are contributing to the too many bikes problem too you know so that's yeah. that all adds to the equation <clears throat> yeah it's an interesting and weird problem that we have with this because it's like is the only solution time I and mean, we can't just throw the bikes away yeah exactly and the bikes are in most cases are just getting older and like model years on bikes is a whole subject and yeah that's something that i think will probably go away it should have gone away if it went away five years ago <laughs> like everyone would be doing better now yeah it, companies that did you know so it's um, not a car that's no, the exactly. way i look at it no other part of a bmx bike is year specific you know like mm-hmm. snowboards aren't really year specific skateboards certainly aren't you know like everything's in other things in our realm i mean i'm not a surfer but i'm pretty sure when you shop for a surfboard you're not looking for the 2023 you know big kahuna surfboard yeah and and even with cars these days companies are not updating them yearly as much anymore yeah so yeah, I just yeah, I think the year model thing will probably go away a little bit so that you see more maybe potentially like oh, we're just going to do smaller runs of colorways for our riders. Yeah. And you see different colors but the components don't change until there's a significant upgrade. Yeah, exactly. I mean parts don't I mean that's how shoes have been even like skate shoes are like that now like most it's just signature colorways <clears throat> like with Edney's that's how it's been for a long time with signature colorways for like Nathan Williams or mm-hmm. Chase Hawk or whatever. They haven't had like their own specific shoes for a long time. Yeah. I always wondered about that where you see it's a pre-existing model of the shoe. The Jameson Volk I think is yeah. a, one they do a lot with Etnies and, and they just do a colorway for a, for a rider. It's interesting. Yeah. Cause it's so expensive and the quantities, it, if it's like a well bikes are the same way like tires like molds for a tire or molds for a shoe outsole are crazy expensive and with a shoe there's a mold for left and right and every side so creating molds for shoes oh my goodness insanely expensive so that's better sell a lot of those shoes to offset that price you know or they they're just losing money on it so same with grips, everything injection, inject, inject, everything that's molded. <laughs> we know what you're trying to say. Corky pig here. Wow. Uh, injection molded. Yeah, I said it. I keep thinking something's on my shirt, which there is, but I tried to, I don't know if you, <laughs> you try to wipe away the mic. That's Ooh. funny. So what I kind of. I like what? Noah McBride. I think that dude's super rad. No. I only, I only met him once, but I like his video series. It's super rad. I like 
I like that it's kind of like props. It's almost like a parody of props, but in a really flat, in a complimentary way. It's not like, it's not making fun of it or anything. But Yeah, his stuff is so cool. I love the fact that he just loves BMX so much and wants to document this stuff so badly yeah. and just he loves props so much that he's like you know what i'm just gonna do it myself and yeah. show that the scene's not dead no i love that i love it i and man speaking of props like there was all that there's a lot of talk about road tools because it's the 25th anniversary that i i kind of quit riding bmx for a few years in the 90s that's the only time that i haven't really ridden mm-hmm. <clears throat> from like 92 to 90 early 97 so four or five years um but not long after i started riding again props became well props is already a thing but props road pools came out i know it came out in 98 but that was like a good it's like so relatable even though you know the riding is way beyond anything i've ever done and certainly was then um because i knew like taj mihalich used to ride here at the park where I ride now, mm-hmm. like he drive from not he wasn't from Detroit, but from the other side of the state because it was the only indoor skate park, and I would ride with him. Like just he and I on a Tuesday at the KZU Skate Zoo riding was pretty rad. And I was like, oh yeah, I've heard of this dude. Like before he was Taj, but he was already Taj. He was so good, and he was in road pools and all that. So that that's when I really man, I just came around to BMX. At that time, for sure, and I started racing against stuff too. But it's been full on ever since then. And that's when I like that's when I started riding ramps. That's when skate parks started blowing up and showing up. And I couldn't really air a quarter pipe. Like I mean, I kind of could in the '80s, but <clears throat> I can air a quarter pipe higher now than really any other time in my life. You know, like mm-hmm. you like look the photo, you're like, oh, it's pretty good for a super old dude, but like. When I was 25, I couldn't, I couldn't go nearly as high. <laughs> like I just didn't know how to do it, you know. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to think about that because you know most kids these days who are 13, 14, however old they might be when they start, have a skate park already in their town yeah. that they can just ride. Right. Yeah. The, I mean, that's just it. Like that's why I didn't know how to ride ramps like we've tried to build ramps and i i think about like i have trails at my house now and i've had them since we bought this house 15 years and there's so much work especially in the summer there i know you work on trails and there it's like not it's like building jumps is fun and shaking lifts and all that i like that but i don't like them being completely consumed by weeds in the summer and all that stuff is just torturous it's the so maintenance much not fun and but when i was a kid I lived, I lived a few miles from where I live now in the country, and I had a little track at my house, like I talked about earlier, but I kept mine, because I stayed with BMX, where all my, my mom would always say, like, well, all your friends were into the bike thing, and how you had those races at our house, and you beat everyone, and they just quit. <laughs> I don't know if that's really true, but it, it did work that way, but I don't know, it's just, I was never good at anything, you know, as a kid, I wasn't good at sports or anything. My dad wasn't a sports guy. Like I remember like kind of playing baseball with him or whatever, but he didn't, he didn't know how to do it either. You know? Yeah. So when I found BMX and no one else, I wasn't even really good at it, but no one else knew how to do it either. So 
just by kind of determination, I became better at it, you know? Yeah, any amount of progress ahead of the people who are around you who are who can't do it either is like right you become the guy yeah and i was so obsessed with it like i just i just wanted to do it all the time like i still i still do i still want to i like the ride every day thing isn't because i'm trying to prove anything it's because i literally want to ride every single day yeah that's that's so cool i remember i used to get home from school and run up the driveway as fast as I could, eat something as fast as I could eat it, and then jump on my bike and ride five miles to get to the skate park every That's single day. <laughs> where did you grow up? In a town called Worcester, Ohio. Oh, I know where that is. Really? What? Home of Chris Markham. Hell yeah. Shout <laughs> out to Markham. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that dude a lot. Just saw him at a winter welcome jam. He came yeah. out for it. I, did you mention that? I saw something. I saw a mention of his name from there. I was psyched. Ah, uh, yeah. In my pictures of everybody, I took one with him. That's what it was. That's what it was. Markham is like the. I don't know the right way to describe it because he was. He's old enough. He's older than me enough that he was already established in the BMX world when I was starting to really ride. So I only got to ride with him a couple times where he would randomly be in town and at the skate park whenever I was there. And and so I never really knew him when I was growing up and, and coming up riding, but I knew of him and knew that he was just this legendary guy and he rode for Redline and right albies and all seeing all the pictures and stuff online it was just i don't know it was like the first person that was i didn't you know pay attention to mainstream bmx so he was like the first person that was this mysterious figure of a pro yeah local legend guy they heard about and didn't know yeah that's awesome i love that is is ashtabula ohio near there no, I think Ashtabula is up by the lake. Oh. Yeah. I, I don't know where that is. But do, Ashtabula made, like, super early BMX parts. Oh, okay. That. Like, I'm sure there's something. Yeah, there's some, there's some in here. There's some forks back there. Oh, there's some forks right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Uh, char What's that? Go ahead. I was just going to say, Charles Atkins said, I miss the Grizz line in your yard. Shit, no, I don't. That's <laughs> a funny one. I built, so I had jumps at my house. <clears throat> and keep in mind, I was like 42 or something. It's not like I was had them as a kid. Mm -hmm. And these dudes, they all went to Western. They all went to school here. And they had these insane trails at, like, in the north side of Kalamazoo and, like, Kind of the gnarly neighborhood, but there were these woods, and they built these jumps were just insane. Like the, nothing, I would. There's no point in my life that I ever would have considered riding, mm -hmm. like just these giant jumps. And they came out here, and they're like, "Oh, this is fun. Can we build a line?" And they built this line called the Mini Grizz. And the jumps weren't super big or anything, but they were really tight and super steep, and like they were just so gnarly. They took me. It took me so long to jump them because I was just freaked out by them. Cause like you had to like pull back and like dive in each one. 
there. They're not they're not really there anymore. That's kind of a roller line at this point, but I like things a little more spread out. I feel that. I we don't have anything like that at our trails that's super tight and technical. We used to, but it just those lines kind of disappeared for other lines throughout the years. Yeah. Those jumps you have look super fun or at that one guy's house in those woods or whatever. Those look those look good. They are awesome. They're they're so good. I love them because they're forgiving in that yeah. they're not you know, clay that's hard packed, squared off and straight up and down, which those are awesome, but we don't have the ability to do that right beside a creek and the dirt's all sandy. So things just naturally kind of fall apart. So we stack them up so that the backsides are at an angle and they're just, you can you can bail and land on the backside and be like, Oh, I'm fine. Or you can case and not die and, and then the other fun part about them is that you could nose case or rear case or overshoot. And if you can pump, you can still make the next jump and keep oh, going awesome. through the line. Right. That's kind of, I'm sorry, they're pretty spread out. I yeah. love them. I love riding trails. That That's the gnarly thing about winter. I mean, it's the same for you. Like, you don't ride trail. <laughs> like, I'm I sad about it. <laughs> the beginning of November, and that was it. And then in April, like, okay, here we go. It is white knuckling it you know like hitting them for the first time every year yeah and, you, should, you should come down and ride our trails no i'd love to I, I mean i don't know how far it is it's not that close i mean you invited me to some trail jam or something one time and i was like oh that'd be great but there's no way i'm not afraid to drive a long way but there's just always stuff going on yeah well maybe you could come out to the uh the trail jam this year yeah maybe let's put it let's put it on the calendar It'll be in July probably at some point. It's four and a half hours from here to Kalamazoo. Oh, that's nothing. Not too what, bad. What city do you live in? Uh, I just did it from Kalamazoo to Worcester. Oh, Worcester, yeah. The like trails that. are like ten minutes further. I feel like I used to drive when I was a. I work for that need now, but when I back then I was like a road rat, and I I was in Ohio all the freaking time. Yeah. And I see Worcester. Yeah, it's you got to drive by it on the highway to get from like the northern to southern part of the state usually. Yeah, it's a little further. It's a little further east. Like I would go to Cleveland. Oh, I know. Yeah, like if I drove from Cleveland to Columbus or whatever, yep. pass it. I see. Yep. You know it is. Uh, but oh, you... Pasadena is on the lake. Oh, that makes sense because it's like they were a forgery. Like they make forged steel bike parts. Gotcha. So Steel mill kind of factory, you know, or so rust belt. Shit. So speaking about bike parts, what was your first? What was your first BMX bike? Um, well, hold on, Brent. Oh, do you have it? You're gonna have to turn off the blur. I don't. No, I have to bring it over there anyway. I think he's getting it right now. <laughs> getting the bike. It's so freaking heavy. <laughs> you might still have to turn off the blur because it might not know how to handle it. Oh, you're right. Shit, I don't, even, I don't know if I know how to do that. Grandpa's going to get with the phone now. Oh, there we go. Huh. I don't know how to do it. Oh, uh, under... I don't know either. <laughs> either way, I can see the bike, so if you just like lift it up, it'll be fine. 
or turn your phone or however you want to do it. It didn't work back did it, Oh, there it went. You did it. Oh, and then I just lost you. And now it's frozen. There we go. You're still... Anyway. Oh, yep, you're back. We're good. Are we there? Here's the bike. You can probably see that it has rear shocks. Yep. And front shocks. No bar spins on that thing. No bar spins. It weighs like 55 pounds. And, and that's what you were racing? I raced it one time. I didn't really know that it was... <laughs> it's totally archaic like it was already outdated like that bike was never like a competitive bike so what was what is that bike it was it's called the silver fox it was made by like a mini bike manufacturer from wisconsin mm. that i've recently learned um i'm literally out of breath from like hoisting that bike. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard of parts unlimited the motorcycle huh. distro it's giant if you're not into motorcycles you wouldn't know uh-huh. about it huge motorcycle distribution company um that company that made that became parts unlimited or something what was it i can't remember what it was called you said mini bike was it like rup or something no yeah like that but not rup how do you know what rup is my dad got uh into a stage where he bought rup roadster roadmaster whatever the a roadster he bought a couple of those and like had them redone and then had them for a while and rode those around the yard that's awesome yeah rough roadster yeah it was cool i i have a license plate he had made for somewhere but anyway uh that's awesome so that was the first bmx bike you say you had what would you say is your first real bmx bike as far as like made for freestyle bmx for freestyle BMX, that would have been when I put the magazine. Like, you know, they tested Matt. It's so funny to talk to you because magazines are before your time. Like, I have literally have Ride BMX magazines right here. <laughs> you do a couple of them, but I never read them. I just looked at the pictures. I never read them. He said. <laughs> I just looked I at the pictures. You never watched BMX videos, which is insane to me. I did it. I just made them. Well, you still don't watch it because I, I watch your BMX news thing and you talk about videos and you say, I haven't watched this one yet, but it's 14 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because it's hard to watch everything. I think I have it right here. I watch all the short ones every week. This is the last issue of Ride, and uh, there's an article about me in here, which is pretty crazy. I feel like I remember that because I think I might have the same issue right here. It's the, very, it's the very last issue. Oh, God. This is where I'm going to knock everything over trying to get it out. Hello, everyone. This is me in the magazine, 2017. Come on. My code around the cover. Congrats. Let's see. We've got this one, the Dave Mira one, Illustrated. We're off in the weeds now. Is a this picture of five? Joey Greenwald. Yeah, Joey, get it. Do you know Joey? No. He was part of the Markham crew. Oh, wow. I just wanted to look at the same magazine you were looking at with you. But I don't have it. Man, so this picture, it's me in front of my van that I miss. I love that van. But it's also a dog that we lost a couple years ago. Oh. And the dog we got two days ago 
it's uh the same it's a doberman and he kind of looks like him it's kind of it's pretty crazy pretty heavy deal yeah it, this is that indoor park that i ride all the time oh i that park looks good yeah it's fun so back to the question what was the what was the bike <laughs> the first oh, real like that you would say is a real bmx freestyle bike yeah 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 um I think it was some weird SE bike. That mm-hmm. the, what my point was that the magazines tested bikes every month, and sometimes the companies were like, "Oh, you guys can just keep it," or you know, because they were used. Mm-hmm. After we tested them, <clears throat> and I think it was that it was like some funky. Oh no, no, no! I take that back. It was that it wasn't SE because I was sponsored by SE for racing, and I had an SE quad angle freestyle bike at one point. That was the same as the regular quad angle, but it had these little welded on stands. So, so that was like 85. Um, okay. But then, you know, the following years I had a few freestyle bikes. But I haven't had, see, like freestyle bikes now are kind of different. But back then they had like standing platforms and all that goofy stuff, like those kinds of bikes. I didn't have that many of them. Like, at that Meet the Street contest, I was riding a race bike. Like I was like, like Moeller, that's how FNM started. You know, like he made bikes that were for everything. That's I was all about that. Yeah. So his, the original SNMs are the geometry is based on that Robinson race bike that was like the, my favorite race bike. You know. That's that's really cool. I'm so were you? Did you not break a lot of bikes back then? No, I was pretty. I wasn't super hard on bikes. Like I always tried to be pretty smooth. Like my biggest influence and. In, influences in racing were this guy named daryl young who's from portland oregon do you know what a ground chuck is like that oh i just saw ground chuck at wheel mill yeah yeah he was there but do you know what a ground chuck that trick is yeah i love doing that trick well it's really a daryl young trick i've heard this tell you that i've heard that before yeah but he was just like the most stylish dude ever and uh I was super influenced by him, but he was also really smooth. And then another dude named Greg Grubbs, who was like an early 80s guy that was a good jumper and everything. Like dudes that were smooth, I was all about that. So I always tried to be that way in my riding. It's kind of cool to hear that because, I mean, you know, the normal story that you hear is, oh, I broke a bike a month. Right, right. Yeah, all those dudes. Like, So this is that two hit meet the street contest can you see that photo yeah i can see it it's a rad photo it's in this book concrete and smog is that the mark noble one no this is bill bachelor oh okay yeah um but i'm riding that robinson bike in there that's so cool wait can you show that again that photo like he sent i have a print of that photo too but i'd never seen that photo and he he sent it to me like he kind of re-emerged in bmx a couple of years ago and he didn't know who a lot of people were and he'd send me pictures and he's like can you help me id these people and I, it was me and some of them I'm like oh that's me dude wow so to see photo because that contest was such a big day and it was so fun i got second place behind vic murphy and damn pretty rad just to because i was just cruising around you know i wasn't doing any crazy tricks like i did a, off that same jump i did like a three to flat and it probably I'm surprised I didn't break parts doing that kind of stuff, you know, but you must have been smooth and doing it right. I guess. Because there's definitely a method to doing that stuff smoother so you don't yeah. break things. Right. I mean I definitely bent I just I like bent more stuff. 
in the early days, stuff would break. Like the first real race bike broke like 12 different times. Like it was just paper thin. Yeah. And like they would break. Knock but, on wood. Let me find some. I've I never broke a frame before. Really? Yeah. I've never had like a catastrophic frame break, but I've broken lots of frames. Yeah, Practice mine. It. But I, in the 80s, you know, they all broke. Right. I was an idiot at one point in time, though, and I had a frame that was uh, cracked on the dropout welds, like all four of them. Oh, <laughs> or I guess there's eight dropout welds, but like four of the eight were cracked, and I was jumping box jumps to flat. And just being an idiot about it and like, oh, it'll be fine. And, and it always was, but it was just like people look at me like, why are you doing that? Yeah, I mean, it dry, it's, it's like fork dropouts would be being an idiot. Like frame dropouts, like, hey, what's the back wheel's going to fall off? You'll be all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so moving past that period of time, now let's say, what would you say your first like modern style BMX bike was? Um, I could tell you because in the when I got back into it in the nineties I had some older bike and then I didn't I was that's that's like the period of the super overbuilt heavy mm-hmm. bike. I just I knew I wanted no part of that. And I got a, a DK race bike. That was a bike that I like a DK legend it was called and I rode that for a long time. And then I got a fit Series one, like the very first fits, like Robbie sent it to me. I was friends with Robbie Morales. Dang, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a rad frame. No doubt. I think the, I don't know if it was exactly that one, but I remember whenever I first started going to the skate park, one of the guys who would go there and ride had a, a fit frame and it didn't have any like model decals on it. It just had the fit logo and name on the down yeah, tube. That's how that was. So maybe it was a series one. I don't remember it, but I do remember that it was at the same time when I got my first fit complete, which was, it had to have been right at the beginning of them doing complete bikes because I was 2006. Oh, and I'm an idiot because you asked me what the first bike company I worked for. It was fit. I worked when I was a sales rep, <laughs> it was a short run, but I worked as a rep for fit in like 2002, probably for yeah. like a year it didn't it was kind of a weird deal and it was nothing they did wrong it just was it just wasn't enough that it made sense but mm-hmm. i did work for fit in 2002 gotcha Brad, you know because i liked fit i like a huge fan of robbie friends with robbie to this day and i, I knew moeller before he started snm like when i first moved to california Mueller, chris moeller was a test rider in the magazine yeah that's where I met him you know <clears throat> and i saw like the very first snm frame Wow. That's so crazy because like I said at the very beginning, like people who just are everyday riders would have no idea who Scott Town is. But the people who are in it, I feel like everyone knows. <laughs> or they don't, or they just heard my name and don't know what I do. And I, I'm fine with that, man. Like I like I wanted to be a pro racer more than anything in the world. And I got hurt. I started getting hurt. I started, I I didn't separate my shoulder. I dislocated my shoulder, which was mm-hmm. pretty early, and it started happening more. <clears throat> and I had a surgery. And that's when I was 19. I was young, and that that was kind of the end of it. You know, like I did, I did well in races after that eventually, but it took a really long. Like things were different back then. Like I didn't go to like PT 
you know, I didn't have Brian Foster like working my shoulder for me. I didn't do anything really. Eventually I started kind of lifting weights, but it took a really long time to heal. And knock wood, that was a million years ago and that I separated that shoulder and I hurt my other shoulder and tore my rotator cuff and this one. I've had so many shoulder injuries, but that repair has helped. Like it's good. I can't throw a ball. I didn't think anything of until I had kids. I'm like, oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> you got to stay close. Yeah. Not very far. But anyway, uh, so when the magazine thing happened, and I was a bike shop guy and all that, but when the magazine thing happened, I'm like, all right, maybe this is it. And I've just always, I've liked being that guy. Like, I love to document things. Like, like I used to make zines. Like, a, you know, you know what a zine is? Of course. <laughs> I'm explaining to you what a zine is. I have one running. <laughs> Listen, just because I haven't seen videos. Yeah, I know. Just because you have, just because you've never seen a zine. Listen, thinking, never, never seen a zine. There you go. Heavy pedals, like Scott's poetry corner. I would have been funny if your name was on that one. My name's. I'm in it. I'm in every issue. I, this is the very first issue. I shot that photo that's on the cover. Oh, we'll just go there. What's this? Oh, more heavy pedals. <laughs> so, yeah. anyways, you you've done zines. There you go. First issue. Yeah, that's it. I shot. That's my one of my best friends, Solon, Solon Foster. That um, guy's rad. He is rad. How come I see him at Rays more than I see you at Rays? Well, man, dude, Detroit. When I lived in, we lived in Detroit until 2007 when we moved here, and Rays was two and a half hours, and it was that's easy. Yeah. Right. I, I drove three hours on Tuesday, and there's no deal. Like, I left here at 11. I didn't even leave earlier. And I got home at 9. And I went to Albies for three hours and picked up a dog and did all kinds of stuff and rode this weird skate park under a bridge. And, That's fair. Uh, but going to going to race is, like, not, not a one-day deal. Like, I have a friend that does it and i have done it but it's gnarly it's 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 four and a half hours like that's a long that's a long day man and i don't, I don't want to go to raise for two hours you know right yeah you want to go to raise for longer than your drive is yes <clears throat> that's like my rule for traveling is if my drive is longer than i'm gonna ride for i don't want to go or i want to stay longer yeah of course and i mean i I have to, that ratio doesn't always work out for me, but what oh. were we talking about? We're wildly off the course here. Dude, we're just going everywhere because I'm just learning your, your story here. I'm, I'm... Oh, yeah. I was just saying that I, uh, I like being like behind the scenes guy. Like people, I, people don't even know what I do or what I've been doing for the last bunch of years. And I'm totally fine with it. Sometimes there was a point when I worked for System Psycho, which is DK and Verde and all their brands. Like I would look at the Instagram feed, like from my own account, and dude, like twenty of these posts are mine from today. Like I posted on them. Oh wow. Kind of silly sometimes, but um, I'm good with that, you know. And now I work for Dig, and we're working on a print project. That's what Graystoke is. It's a magazine that we're working on. We're putting putting it together now and it's aimed at i don't want to say too much about it because we haven't officially announced it yet but i think you just did i just did <laughs> um 
it's a print magazine aimed at BMX lifers, aimed at older dudes, you know? So. Oh, that is genius. Hence the name Greystoke. And I didn't come up with the name, and I didn't really come up with the concept. Will from Dig did, but I'm the editor of that, and that's really my focus. And frankly, I was freaking out when I was still working with the building, like how I was going to do this. Because I've been working, I've been working on this since June. I've been um, under contract with Dig since June, which was my contract, of course, but. I was like, dude, when am I gonna put this mag? You know, when am I gonna write all this? And there's a, a lot to do for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though I've been working on it, like now it's kind of crunch time, and uh, I don't know how I would have done that when I was doing my day to day. Right. That, that was really taking up a lot of the time. So what does it take? And not necessarily talking about the the one on your shirt because I don't want to get you in trouble. But like, what does it take in a nutshell to make? a magazine happen as far as the content part and putting stuff together goes well this one's a little different because there's a kind of a there's a historical element so there's like a big photo feature from this early photographer and those photos are like 50 years old you know mm-hmm. and he has the photos he's just we're just picking the best ones and he's sending us the photos you know so yeah there's that but then there's other articles <clears throat> like i interviewed a guy named it's to me it's it's ridiculous that i'm saying a guy named Stu thompson because he's like one of the most famous bmx dudes ever but he's so far before your time that stomp and stew yeah stomp and stew i interviewed stomp and stew about the earliest um bmx riding in skate parks not oh, okay. Pools, not that, not jumping, but like actually riding skate parks. And it was really, it was rad. But like finding photos or like there's photos, but they're cropped weird or like they're low res or like no one has the original. And like this is a print, you know, it's like, like dig is full size, you know, super high quality. Yeah. Like, like it's really thick. And this won't be as big, but it's 132 pages. Like it's a full size magazine. That's yeah, really photos awesome. Have to be top quality. They can't be like low res. Right. Photos, you know. Right. So I feel like that almost would be more work in some cases than taking yeah. the photo yourself for sure. something. Right. But then there's a lot of new photos, and I've really like for as long as I've been shooting photos, I wasn't necessarily great at it. Like when I the magazine photos like were kind of hit and miss always. Like I shot magazine covers a couple times and. But sometimes I was kind of lucky, you know, and I've really been trying to step up my my photography game. I have a, a good friend. His name is Sean Newton. He's a he's not on social media anymore, but he's kind of my photography guru and just helps me with like like I never shot with remote flashes. Like I would only shoot with on camera flash and just stuff like that. Like he's helped me so much, and I I feel like I've come a long way. Like I I got some good photos this year that are for this project. And then there's like a piece on a collector. Like I went to his house and shot. He has all. I have a bunch of cool bikes, but like, he has really rad bikes, and he's just trying to exactly that. Like he's not really a rider anymore, even though he has a riding background, and it's just like what he's all about. I think this is a really awesome idea, and the amount of stuff that you guys could do in future issues of that is just endless at this point. It's endless. There's so much stuff. Like, 
there's we have way too much stuff already lined up for the first issue like it's going to be the, our problem is not going to be being able to fill it it's being able to like funnel it down to a, a usable amount so it's a good presentation and yeah i mean it's dig like will will smith who runs dig you know he knows how to put a magazine together mm-hmm. i know how to interview people and find the content i love like I'm just a rabbit hole guy when it comes to BMX because I'm such a BMX nerd and I, I love more than anything. Like when I was waiting for you, I was reading this interview with Scott Breithop, who's kind of the founding father of BMX. He's no longer with us, but I, uh, I'd never read the best interview. I was reading it. It was kind of bumming me out in a lot of ways, which I won't go into, but I just go down the rabbit hole every day somehow. And it's part of my job, which is rap. Like I, I love trying to find a photo from a magazine from 1978 that I know, like I remember it, but I don't know what mm-hmm. it is. It's like just a dig, deep, deep, deep dive all the time. Did you it, did you say it, dig on purpose just now? No, I, I didn't, but I, it is digging deep. And it's not always for dig. Like I, I went to this event in California last summer that I got to co-host this um, awards presentation and the slideshow for that, like finding photos for that. Like of Stu is one of the people that that, and just some other dudes, some freestyle guys, but um, finding photos from that, I love it. But I spent like days and days on it, like literally going through every single magazine, and they're mostly online, but I have tons of magazines here too. You're going through them online, it's much easier to put a record. Like flipping through a magazine looking for a photo. Mm-hmm. Cool, but um, I, I just love it. I love that it's just something I get to do. Like I feel like it's a privilege, even though it's, a job too you know like it's it's, it's rad like that's amazing and i think that this that's going to be the kind of thing that people really get excited about seeing yeah because there's so many and honestly i'm older than a lot of dudes that still ride but there's a big feature on dennis mccoy who's like a year younger than me and you could still blast nine feet out of a concrete hole you know mm-hmm and like working with Dennis is rad. I've known Dennis forever, but just to talk to him a few times this year and like get texts from him and him sending me photos and like, oh, I got some more photos. Like it could be a Dennis McCoy magazine. He sent so many photos, but he's just a rad dude and such a legend. And just to be able to do a piece on him. And I didn't even do the interview with him. Like I'm the editor, but I'm, you know, like farming out some of the pieces. And yeah, there's uh, this another magazine guy and Jared Sony had a, a real cool concept and a, a cool angle, if you will, for the Dennis McCoy piece. So he, he wrote that. And, uh, that's a lot to take on with Dennis. Cause he's, he likes to talk. <laughs> Describing that interview, I'm sure it was a big project. So after that goes live, I'm going to have to hit up DMC and see if he wants to do one of these. Yeah. I, I wonder if he would, it'd be amazing. He's, he's rad. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't you could ask him like two questions and keep the keep the cameras rolling for a long time that's perfect man because it's one of the like it's no secret that i don't know a lot about certain things and he's one of the things that i would have to do a lot of research to know what i'm talking about he's just so rad because he never i think he doesn't get a lot of credit because he never there's no comeback from dennis mccoy he never went away you know yeah literally has never like he wrote in every single x games and like and he was 
the old guy when the X Games started in '95, you know, mm-hmm. and like that, that's some like being the old guy. So funny at this point. Like I've been the old guy at the skate park for so long, for so much longer. The period of time I've been too old to be riding BMX <laughs> longer than the time that I did ride BMX. Yeah, I, it was like at normal or like appropriate time of your youth or whatever. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. I've been too old to be a BMX guy for 30 years, you know? Yeah. And that's definitely true with Dennis. And Dennis is riding at a super high level, you know? Like, I, I like, licking a tabletop on a hip or on my medium-sized backyard trails, but <laughs> he's going all in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like some people, like him, might be taken for granted in that they're just always there always there he's like and he's kansas city guy like he's in this weird location you know like yeah he's not like in the like he did that haro trip to uh, columbia or whatever when like he got a lot of a lot of coverage in that right mm-hmm. you know like three and down big stair sets and everything that was insane yeah and he was one of the first dudes to do that stuff That's like the so first wild. the it was a photo sequence of course because this was kind of pre-video it's like it's funny because it's at a, an AFA freestyle contest, which is like two quarter pipes or mm-hmm. maybe four quarter pipes at a good one. There's the flatland division, and then there's the ramp division, which is just these shitty quarter pipes that were so sketchy, eight feet high, eight feet wide. Trannies are all weird. Like think of, like that a narrow ramp. Like there's nothing more dangerous. It's than scary, narrow. yeah. And dudes are just going crazy on those. But it was at this. Um, a velodrome, you know what that is, like a cycling yeah. velodrome in California where they had a bunch of those contests. But there's a big stair set, and he threed down those, and there's a sequence of it. That that was way crazier than most of the stuff in the contest, you know, say huh. for 540 on the 8 foot quarter that someone did. Probably he did, you know. Yeah. But he's a pioneer of that, and he just, it's just what he did. Like, I think he would tell you himself that he didn't even think of it as like street riding, it's just bike riding you know mm-hmm. like, go to all the time but huh. but anyway yeah that's uh another part of that magazine that i'm excited about and it's just that it's there's so many because bmx has been around long enough that there's so many people that still ride that are older or came back to riding yep as adults or, or whatever the case you know or dudes that don't ride at all that are just into collecting bikes or they ride retro bikes or big bikes although there won't really be any big bike stuff in it you know it's all 20 inch mm-hmm Stuff. but um yeah i think there's a place for it and i think it'll it should be rad yeah. and it's the generation of dudes that grew up on magazines or so you know they will and, like to have a tangible magazine to hold in their hands you know well i can't wait to get my hands on one i'm definitely gonna pick that up i'll send you one bro <laughs> i mean that works too i was gonna buy it but uh okay if you want to buy it go ahead well i like i like to support but so over the years have you had the similar like positions at these companies you've worked at where you're doing a lot of the marketing stuff or is it is it just whatever yeah i don't i think i feel like it's the it's just the modern workplace in any industry and especially in a bike industry in the bmx industry because the companies are small and understaffed and like when I started at Dan's, for example, I had like, 
pretty specific responsibilities. And it was, you know, it was a full-time gig. But by the end of my time at Dan's, it was all those same ones plus like 30 other responsibilities. Yeah. Like they kept adding. And part of that's because I, I guess, earned that status. But it was also like, we have to cut the staff down. You know, people left. You have to do No one else is going to do it if you don't do it. Yep. And man, when I worked at, at DK, it was definitely like that too. And every, like, when I left DK, like, they didn't replace me, you know, like, Steve Buddendeck and the other people there just took on more responsibility, you know, it's just how it is. It's gnarly. Yeah. And I, I did a little, of, I did international sales. I did all social media. I did key account sales. So I dealt with, like, all the mail orders. And then I would write, like, website descriptions, like, for every company I've worked for forever. <clears throat> I always, like, write content. You know, I still do that. Like, I write web descriptions mm-hmm. and social media and stuff like that. So, and that's a lot of what I was doing at S&M, too, was that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's they've all been kind of similar roles. Just lots of content and team management stuff. Like, I didn't do any of that at S&M. Although I did, like, team writer orders and stuff like that. But I was a... Verde and DK, the DK DK freestyle team manager. Like I put Marcus Christopher and oh Nick. dang, I I'm the one that put them on the team. You know, nice. And had the relationship with Marcus. Marcus is rad. Like he, uh, I put him on dance comp when he was eleven. Dude, I remember when he was eleven because he came yeah. to our trail jam, and he's this 11 year old kid doing no foot cans over our big jumps yes. and his dad is a giant <laughs> <laughs> his neck is bigger than his head he's like what marcus yeah and there's this <laughs> there's this dude who would always come down to the trails he didn't ride or anything but he would come down and drink and get drunk and he was down there for our jam and he's he just kept calling marcus's dad sasquatch all day Dude, that guy's gnarly. You know, he's like an all-state football something for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, he's not not a sports guy at all, but he was something like that. Something crazy. Like when you look him up, he's got definitely got some accolades at OSU. Long list of accolades. He does. He's a cool dude too. He's just he's gnarly. He's kind of well. He's intimidating because he's huge, but but he's. I mean, every time I see him, we just sit there and talk about everything the whole entire time and i don't even ride because we're just sitting there talking they're like the model bmx family from what i see yeah with at least before marcus started driving and going by himself to ride where yeah. dad would have to drive him his dad would just be hanging out like yeah whatever you want to do I don't, i'm just here marcus is funny too like you got it takes it takes him a while to warm up but he's yeah he's a rad dude i haven't seen those guys in a while but I try to stay in touch with, but I always communicate with Matt, you know, mm-hmm. but for a kid, it made sense, but I'm like, I'm just like 19. I'm still communicating with his dad, but whatever it's whatever works, you know, it's fine. Yeah. He's a cool dude. And, uh, was he working? He's working for blackout, not Ednies. Yeah. never mind. Who is Mar- Matt? He used to be work for doing sales or something. Oh yeah. Blackout. Yes, he did. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Mark is so cool, and I remember when that those edits first came out, where he's just twelve year old kid going crazy. It's cool. so good. 
too bad. I feel like, I mean, obviously you don't work at DK or anything anymore, but I did want to give them a little praise and just that, like the fact that they're making stems and pegs in-house right now. It's pretty it's cool. It's super rad. Like the bill invested in all that, that stuff is expensive, you know, like CNC machinery and oh yeah those machines are like buying really nice vehicles <laughs> yeah exactly well it's more like airplanes dude those are really expensive and i don't know if you know but dk is like that's the first dk product was a stem like in 1979 i didn't before they made bikes or anything they made stems that's the very first thing they made hmm. they Made parts eventually and then bikes so yeah so it's kind of a return to the family business like his dad was a machinist for gm and made stems in the garage for bill vanishak who owns it you know he raced and his sister nikki raced i had no idea that dk had this kind of a history like this yeah absolutely man yo is it bill you said yeah bill hit me up let's talk i want to do one of these with you (laughs) oh good luck getting him to do that i don't know either way uh i'm curious too so what else do you do with dig besides working on that i work for the regular dig too like i update the website post on the instagram and actually lately i've been working with advertisers which is like it's it's starting it's starting to happen you know where Mm -hmm. just wearing so many hats you know well bmx is kind of contracting right now so i feel like the responsibilities are gonna grow for a while it's fine i love it dude dig is rad like and one thing I learned like so long ago, and I think it's because I was so obsessed with the magazines early on, but the dude that wrote Bicycle Motor Cross Action and wrote it, like it was a book, but who's the editor of that magazine, like he didn't ride, like he was an adult. He was a dad. He was, you know who Arl Osborne is? Yeah. It's his dad. And um, he didn't pretend, and this is something I always keep in mind, like even though. I'm older, but I can write about Felix Pangenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't try to pretend that I'm 17 or 20. Like I don't try to talk like a kid. Mm-hmm. Like that's dangerous. It's, it's insincere. You know, it's disingenuous. So, and that's how the magazine was written. Like he didn't write it. Like he wasn't trying to write on some weird hip level in 1978. You know, he just wrote like an adult and he just wrote in a way that's creative and tried to make it interesting and relatable. But, and it is relatable to me, whether I'm 35 years older than dude I'm writing about or not for the person that's reading it more importantly, people don't read captions anyway. So it could just be a bunch of, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, too long didn't read. I know is the motto. Like that's the LDR. I've had to train myself that's hard dude to write like a description like a bike description for a website like uh it's way too long man like it's hard it's shorter like it's got to be so concise and like just dumbed down not dumbed down i'm not trying to be condescending but it just has to be short i did that for the the bmx dude or whatever this website is that came out the melon bmx guy guy who ran that started a new website i forget what it's called but I was writing all the descriptions for him and it was tough when you're writing 30 different pedal descriptions 
oh, or, yeah. or frame descriptions and you're like, how do I say something different about this thing that is virtually the exact same as the one I did two minutes ago? Oh yeah, you're gonna write about nylon pedals. You're gonna write a different description description for each one, and there's twenty. Yeah, exactly. Dude, that, welcome to my day. Like yeah. Every, like I, because I do that. I've done that at every company I've worked for, including Dan's, and I still do it to this day for Albies. And I work for a company that <clears throat> makes pads, like old school BMX pads called Flight. Mm-hmm. I worked them for a few years ago. This would not be on your radar in any way, shape, or form, but. Like I constantly have to write product descriptions for that. And those, those are, that's different. Cause at least the pads are like different designs. So you talk about the design and the, yeah, the construction is the exact same on all of them. So that's kind of a given, but anyway, yeah, it's tough, but I embrace that. But anyway, my point was that I just, that's always something you just have to keep into perspective, you know, like you just don't be something you're not. Don't ever, don't fake the funk, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. everything has to be sincere and it has to be just legitimate and from the, really from the heart, you know? Yeah. Whether it's a, a two word Instagram caption before the tags or, you know, a full description of some high end bike, you know? Yeah. It's, it's definitely tough and to keep people's attention these days is so hard. So it, you really have to be thoughtful about those things. Yep. Yeah. So you do all that for dig. You're doing product description stuff for Albies. Are you posting for Albies? Yep. Man, that's, you are like 100% consumed with BMX. Yeah, I really am. <laughs> like, it's awesome. Like more than people know, more than I'm even like talking about, like I, like all the time. It's fine. I want. That's what I want. It's what I always wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm glad. I wish it paid more, but <laughs> but that's why I work for all these different companies. That's why when the S and M thing ended, it was like, well, that sucks. But I, I'm literally exactly where I was before that. Yeah. You know, like so. I don't know. Then I get to work. I work from home, and I can pick my kid up from school or whatever. You know, like. Yep. It's, it's rad. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about photography for a little bit. What are you shooting on? A Fuji X-T1. It's I've our, heard of that camera. Yeah, I have it right here. Let's see it. It's rad. I'll, I'll tell you. Um, I feel like everything I'm telling you is something i <laughs> written about on Instagram or posted or whatever. It's an X-T1. Sorry. That's okay. But, my friend Sean that I mentioned earlier, he uh, he has this, and he he works at a camera shop. Like, okay, he's just camera guy to the core. He's also a BMX guy, and we went to ride, and he always brings his camera. This was, I don't know, a few couple of years ago, three years ago, I guess. Yeah. And he had this camera, and he's like, "Here, check it out," you know. And I picked it up, and it's it's really heavy, like it's a metal body and everything, mm-hmm. it's a real camera. And I'm not. Like, I mean, I did shoot, excuse me, I shot photos for a long time, but it was just never, I never really even considered myself a photographer. Like, I was a magazine guy, like a writer first and photographer second, really. Mm-hmm. Even though I was lucky enough to get some good photos. But 
But anyway, just shooting with that camera and with the fisheye and everything, it just seemed like a real camera. And it's got me so psyched. And he helped me get one, and this is it. And nice. I just, I love it, man. It's cool that it's a digital, but it looks, it's got that film camera look to the shape of it and design. Yeah, all the dials are all, it's like, it's all analog, everything. Yep. It shoots, you know, HD video and everything. It's, it's rad. Like, it's, what? I don't know video with it very often honestly i usually use my gopro or whatever but mm. what what lens are you rocking on there what's the this is a 7.5 millimeter fisheye nice the 2.8 yep nice that's that was when i got my camera and started filming and taking pictures with a real camera <clears throat> i the fisheye pretty much lived on it yeah, it does, unless I'm shooting, like, my kid's soccer game or something. Yeah. <clears throat> or, like, I shot my kid's senior photos. <laughs> or shooting, uh, my wife's an attorney, and, like, shooting photos of her part law partners for their website and stuff like that, which is always kind of a, it's always a stretch, a bit of a stretch to try to shoot those kinds of photos. But I've gotten better at those, too, and, again, that's with Sean's help. And yeah. Some, and it's because you can review everything, you know, like... It's so much easier to learn. It's not like you're waiting for your film to get developed and you're like, oh, shit, yeah, those are dark. I mean, that's so discouraging and so expensive, you know? Oh, and the time-consuming process of that where you you have a whole entire photo shoot and you have no idea what you did wrong. Then yeah. you get everything back and you're like, well, I hope I remembered or wrote down everything that I did oh, to know. Totally. I guess you never did that ever in their life this this guy I, I never did i was horrible about that like i you I kind of eventually memorize the settings you know yeah <clears throat> but but like the the iso catastrophe you know that was just a mistake like i probably accidentally turned it like mm -hmm. i didn't change it except for different film types you know yeah that sucks so bad i when i was in school in the photo one class that we did we had to do contact sheets and just keep track of all of that different stuff while we for our assignments and i would say that probably really helps with those kinds of things it does it does but again you have to develop the contact sheets and everything else yeah what is this it, my buddy from down in columbus said a photographer with from dig was at the flow v2 years ago named Bo, but was shooting Brian Streeby, he means Adam Streeby, doing a backflip Cordova. And also got some pics of my buddy doing a, my buddy Chris doing a topside Indian air. That was me. I have those photos right here. Hold on. Do you actually? Oh, it wasn't me. Oh, I'm like, what? I didn't, even photos. I, I didn't really even shoot photos for decades. <laughs> oh. Like, I honestly, like, I didn't. Like, I've always shot video and stuff. Like, I love getting video and mm -hmm. videos when I got back into BMX like with my friends like with Solon and our crew when I lived in Detroit I had a whole crew of like older dudes yeah and we would put together videos and stuff but you ever yeah. ride with I didn't really seriously shoot photos for like so long I couldn't even tell you from the early 90s until like the probably when we had a kid 2005 I got a good camera again you know gotcha like once in a while, like I would shoot, I would be in a Polaroid for a while, but those were super expensive and you're not shooting BMX with those. 
Right. Do you ever ride with uh, Bob Haskett? No, that doesn't. Uh, I just wondered. Yeah. He's he he hit me up a couple years ago after I did one of these with Flip, and he used to live in that area. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, there's a lot of dudes over that way. So. Yeah. So. What does your BMX life look like for you right now? Besides all the stuff we already talked about. Besides work, <laughs> outside of work. I mean, I, uh, well, I, I ride every single day. So every day, that's like one of my first thoughts in the day is like, all right, where am I going to ride today? What day is it? Like the indoor skate park here that I'm so fortunate to have that mm-hmm. it's been open for 30 years 30 33 years it's it might be the oldest privately owned skate park now besides kona but it it's it's indoors so it's the old i think it probably is because there was one other park in pennsylvania but i think it might have closed jeez um penn skate yeah penn skate just closed yeah i'm not talking about penn skate it's different penn skate wasn't that old it was old (laughs) don't get me wrong that was an old park and was there for a long time but this was some other really small park that was around forever. But anyway, um, just to have that skate park there is just a godsend. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, I I, I would have gone there tonight. My friend, uh, you know who Tyler Hill is? Yeah. He, <clears throat> he lives like an hour from here, and he's been riding there more. And he hit me up, and I'm like, oh, I'll try to make it. And I just kind of ran out of time and was doing this with you, so I didn't go. But... Like, it's right there. It's 15 minutes away, you know. I just I just love riding there so much, and I'm so happy to have that. But it's only open Wednesday through Sunday, so Monday and Tuesday, you know, it's not that. But because I am committed to riding every day, sometimes I have to get creative, you know. And I have a mini ramp in our barn, but it's little. It's a fun skate ramp, and I ride bikes on it. I rode bikes on it today, but mm-hmm. it's pretty limited, you know. Like, I have a bike with front brakes, and I can do nose picks on it, but I'm not really a front brake guy. Yeah. And, um, and like I rode that, it was so freaking cold the other day, but I rode, there's this park under an overpass in Battle Creek, which was on my way to Detroit. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to that. And there was snow on half of it. Like we have a ton of snow on the ground and snow had blown in on a lot of it, but I was able to ride like the middle part of it. I didn't ride it for that long, like 20 minutes, but, um, yeah, every day is, BMX and wanting to ride BMX and working on bikes and building bikes. Like I watched, we were talking about road pools earlier and I, this is related to great stuff. We were talking about Dennis McCoy and him being on a road pool. I'm like, oh, that's right. I always forget that he was on road pools. He was on road pool 13. And I have all the top shot road pools on box set and everything. So I watched road pools 13 and got super psyched because that, you probably don't know who he is, but Phil Wasson, he wrote for FBM. I know that name. He's from Kansas City. Like, he's a Dennis McCoy kind of uh, affiliate, I guess. Mm-hmm. But he had a signature frame from FBM called the PW Moto, which I I have one. And it's hanging in the barn, and I watched his parts, and he was so rad. I'm like, man, I love that frame. And I'm like, man, I can build it. Do I have enough parts to build it, make it kind of air correct? And it's so funny because it. To me, it doesn't even seem old, but it's from like it's almost twenty years old, you know. It's yeah, like three or four. This was last week. Like this is me nerding out in the middle of the winter and freezing my ass off because I have a big pole barn, which I'm so happy to have, but it's not heated. 
you know, I'm out there just like freezing on a Sunday building this bike up, but that bike is so rad. And just, I, I've actually ridden that the last couple of times in the park, but yeah, every day is, I have my, I got a new BSD bike recently and it's sitting right here. And I got new tires at Albies the other day. So all that's in here just because I don't want to change tires in the freezing cold barn. Like I don't usually work on my bike in here, but this is my basement office in, in my house. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just every day is BMX something. That's Saturday, so sick. Saturday, there's a, uh, it's like a bike show and swap meet in Crown Point, Indiana. Like yep. Two hours. It's not that far from here. It's like two hours west of here, and uh, I'm going to that. Are you gonna but, go down to that, then back up to Modern for the Albies I'm, thing? I'm I'm kind of bummed because I love that Modern Park. Have you ever ridden that park? No, and I probably never be able to because of the hours yeah the hours are funky um so that part that was kind of a big important era for me too in 2002 a van skate park opened in novi michigan which is the other side of detroit okay west suburbs of detroit and that part was so fun and so good and i rode that park it only had three bmx sessions a week and i went to like every one that i could and it was cool because it was always the same people there. Mm-hmm. Bunch of friends, you know, that's the only time you could ride there. So it was always the same people. But anyway, that park eventually closed and Modern bought all those ramps and moved them to where it is now on the other side of Detroit and Royal Oak. Gotcha. And it's a huge park and it's it's super good and super fun. Just hips. If it's crowded, it kind of sucks. But man, like the big quartered bank hips that are pretty far gap so fun i love hitting those don't they have a vert ramp too yeah they do have a vert ramp nice climbed up and stood on top of once but (laughs) (laughs) that's me at woodward every time going there i'm like i am not i'm just not gonna do it no you know what's weird so that vance park had a vert ramp and uh i made myself like i didn't ride into it i put my bike on the coping, on the pegs, like double peg, and and just went in one time only just to say I did it, and that was it. Like, I never did it again. Mm-hmm. But at that same time, I was starting to ride bigger stuff. You know, Louisville Park had that giant cement, you know, the full pipe bowl before mm-hmm. they changed. That was quite a few years ago now. Yeah. But I was there at, like, 8 in the morning, and I was, like, rolling into, like, the deep end of that. And I kind of was like, this is maybe not a good idea. I'm here by myself. I got knocked out i would just be if i got hurt i would would just be in this bowl until someone found me you know yeah but that doesn't scare me i mean it's scary riding a big bowl but i don't i'm just kind of i'm scared of heights so being up on top of just standing on top of the ramp like being on the mega ramp at woodward west a few years ago i'm just terrified just standing up there you know so not not for a guy by any stretch Uh, vert is a rare rare breed of human yeah, it really is. I interviewed Simon Chevron a couple weeks ago, speaking of rare humans. That. He's, how's he's he doing? He's good. He's doing good. That the whole, is... You can read about it in Greystoke Magazine coming soon. <laughs> Do we have... The plug guy, but that's what it was for. Like, Do, is there any kind of time estimate on that? Yeah, it's supposed to be the first issue is uh, um, on sale date is April 1st. Oh, nice. Really? Like, oh, April, but it's 
it's now February, so it's not that far off. <laughs> For We're real. putting it together. Like it's kind of, kind of all here. Yeah, yeah, I'm stoked for that. I'm really excited to see it. It's funny. Uh, I'm assuming it's Fudger on the Hour BMX account said, did I miss the conversation about Greystoke? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how he would even know about it because we haven't really gone public with it, you know? Yeah, till now. There's an Instagram, but there's no post on it. It's been set up for months. There's a website, but there's nothing on it besides the logo. These shirts I had printed for an event, I went to... Again. <laughs> There's a moth on me. That was funny. You looked scared for a second. Oh, it's like right there. Yeah. Do you have stink bugs? Oh my god, I hate those things. Me too, but they we have them. I don't know where they even come from, but like, it's not uncommon for one to be on you, right? Like, and then you touch it, and you can't get that smell off of you for however long it takes. Really, I don't. I never even noticed the smell, but like, they're just kind of creepy, you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's rad. How what? I wonder how he would know about Greystoke besides the shirt. But I don't know. Maybe someone told him. I don't know. I want him to know about it. I'm excited for that to come out, and I'm I'm stoked that we could talk about it here before anywhere else. Yeah, I hope I don't. I mean, I'll get fired tomorrow morning. I'll be terminated, fired as editor of Greystoke. Yeah, I don't know about that. No, we uh, we just want to. You know, it's not going to go off half-cocked, you know? Like, when it's presented, it'll be, like, proper presentation. Besides me rambling about it. Yeah. <laughs> Jared R. says, Scott Town, serving pancakes daily. How many tabletops do you do on average per week? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wish... I, you know, like, in the... This time of year, it's tough, because... On my little tiny ramp, I don't do any tabletop. And if I get to ride outside, like this winter, there were a lot of times when it wasn't snow, and like I'd make a point to like, all right, I'll go ride. I can go street ride or whatever. And I had these my little spots. But when you have a coat on, like the tabletop is scary. Like you get the grip in the. I've, oh I've yeah. So worked more than once. The you know my ride every day thing. The longest I didn't get to ride. Like I've literally ridden every single day since. January 1, 2012. Whoa. Like every day, except for two two days last year. But the long, the only extended period of time I haven't ridden was in 2016. It was like April, and I had a goddamn jean jacket on of all ridiculous things. And my grip, like a little table, of course I'm trying to film myself, got stuck in my jean jacket, and I just died, and my leg got super tweaked and I couldn't I literally couldn't ride I, my leg wouldn't bend like I was walking up and down the stairs like a pirate like that was the only time that's the only time more than two days that I haven't ridden since 2012 wow that is a full 10 years at this point yeah 11 it's like fourth out I did the math recently I I had the I, yes 11 years I thought it was 10 I did the math and then I'm like the next day, I saw my Facebook post or my Facebook memories were talking about it. I'm like, oh shit, it's really 11 years. There's like 4,000 days of riding BMX, a lot. And before that, I mean, I tried to ride as much as I could. I still rode most most every day, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know the tabletops. Like, I did some. I did uh, I did yesterday. 
I did a couple. But in the summer, like, I would try to get them, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, where are you getting to ride in the summertime the most? Well, I have jumps at my house. I have trails right. in my So those I try to keep running, you know, weather permitting. Um, there's an outdoor skate park here that's not really that great, but I just ride it so much. I know you you have your local park that's kind of like that. It's just it's my park, you know. I just yep. I ride it so much that I really, I really, I love riding there. Like I don't ever get bored, but I I usually only ride it for like a half an hour, you know. Like I go there, I try to keep normal work hours, business hours, so you know I don't screw around all day. Mm-hmm. If I if I'm there for like an hour, it's a long time, you know. <clears throat> I got gotcha. you. There all the time. That's cool though. That you get to ride every day, and you got your local park. You got an indoor park fifteen minutes away, and yeah, there's um, another there's another indoor park like thirty five minutes away that I go to once in a while too. That's fun. What's that so, one? It's called Battlegrounds. It's in a it's actually in a mall. I've heard of that one. Yeah, they're 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 having a little jam coming up there. I think in March. I emceed it last year, but um, it's fun. It's, it's small, but it's really fun as long as it's not super crowded. Good mini ramp and good ledges and stuff. Nice. But any any time I travel anywhere, I always try to, you know, I take the route that goes past the skate park. Mm-hmm. There's skate right now. There's so many skate parks in Indiana. When I worked at Dan's, I had, you know, Dan's is at the, in, by Evansville, the very bottom of Indiana, and there weren't that many parks and now there's so many more like that auburn indiana park is so rad have you been to that i haven't seen that one no yeah that park rules it's like just north of fort uh fort wayne and there's a bunch of parks in southern indiana now too huh yeah it's just it's becoming more and more widespread and everywhere it's good to see yeah i love it i love it that's part of it i mean really when i was a sales rep for eddie's that was a big part of it man like I was always on the road, like shop skate shops don't open until 11 or noon or one sometimes. So I would always have time in the morning to like hit a skate park. And I just knew where every skate park was. I would, one of my first trips as a sales rep in 1997, I went to the skate shop in Toledo called Just Skateboards, which is still there. It's a rad dude named Scott who owns it. And I, I don't know how it came up, but I told my road DM it. I do know how it came up, but it doesn't matter. And he's like, oh, you ride bikes? you got to check out Chango World. And I'm like, what? Chango World? I didn't know. I had no idea what he's talking about. He's talking about the original Chango World. Uh-huh. And I went there on that trip, and I was just like, what the hell? Like, I just couldn't even get my mind around how rad that place was. When was this? 1997. Oh, it, wow. It like a year old. I think it opened the year before that. Like, it was pretty new. That's so incredible. I, and I was on the road the whole Changa era until that one closed. And, you know, I rode Changa 2 a bunch of times, too. But Changa 1 was just magical. It's just legendary. Yeah. Did you ever get to ride there? No. They, it closed the year I started riding. Yeah. yeah, it closed a long time ago. It was so fun, though. I, I, I rode in contests there and everything. Like, But, but again, being a rep, I was a rep for 13 years. So I just always, like, I would... I rode the Louisville Park so many times because I that was part of my big route, you know, that I yeah you know, multiple times a year, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote and from here, like right now, <clears throat> like if you drive south, 
get away from the lake. There's not as much snow. And I always would kind of forget that. I'm like, oh, God, there's no snow in Indianapolis. And there's two feet of snow at my house, and it's only three hours away. But mm-hmm. get away from the lakes, and you're in the Ohio River Valley. It's a different climate. You know, it's just warmer. Would ride that major Taylor Park or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So what do you think about the current state of BMX without considering the industry? I feel like it's okay. I feel like like videos get a lot of views. You're, you, you can speak more to that, right? But like Dennis Ennison started that new video channel or that new YouTube channel, and it's doing great, it seems like to me. Like, I see, I always check the views on videos, and, of course, it's Dennis Anderson, and his, like, normal session is, like, the biggest banger from the best video, but... Yeah. But it's super rad, and they're fun to watch, you know? And it seems like events are having a good turnout. Yep. Jams and everything, and, like, that Dig magazine that just came out, and I'm not trying to plug Dig, but like that totally sold out like right away, you know. I mean, I'm sure some shops still have some, but like there's no more, you know. Yeah. Not huge circulation or anything, but I mean, it's a good barometer. And I know like <clears throat> like parts when I at SM, like frames and stuff like that still sell, you know. It's just complete bikes and parts sell. Like Albies is still going strong, you know. The mail orders are, are there. They have the same problem, you know. They have too many bikes and everything, but they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're not businesses are necessarily. I don't want to speak for anyone, but you know, they're still in business. They're still doing business every day. Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like there's a lot of events going on, and when you go to them, there's a lot of people who show up, and everybody seems to be having a good time. And <clears throat> I mean, being at being local to raise you go there on a saturday and it is just insane there is so many people and yes raise is more than just bmx like freestyle and there's a lot of people there who are riding mountain bikes just going on the ladder sections and stuff and a lot of djs there but it just seems like there is a lot of people doing it and the what we hear from the industry saying things are struggling is more of industry separated from actual people just going out and riding well of course i mean that's i mean they're in business to do business you know like if you're sitting on thousands of bikes then of course it's a problem you know like yeah it's how could it not be a problem you know but it seems like the energy is there like you're saying and like I, i don't know i just feel like it's good like that wheel melt thing was rad right I was it was amazing that, but um but whatever you know like that's how it worked out but it everything like that seems like it's good Toyota or the triple challenge things weekend at the supercross seemed like it was super rad like you know i'm looking at all this stuff from my basement for the most part but it just seems like things are going pretty strong in terms of <clears throat> Yeah, I would I would definitely say so and <clears throat> I I would agree that BMX as a thing that people do is okay right now yeah. for sure. I mean it, it's there's other like 
sponsorships and like being a pro rider and getting paid is gotta be so tough now like i don't know how dudes do it i know a lot of those guys have to have jobs you have to mm-hmm. you can live in california and survive on fifteen hundred dollars a month this is not possible unless you have 10 people in one house exactly so i mean that part of it is is got to be so tough you know and it sponsorships like it's so hard when a company is really struggling and just with inventory levels and overhead and everything else like and riders are so important it's such an important part of the the program you know like not yeah. everyone that's the same way but man i do i worked for animal for a couple of years ago for a couple of years <clears throat> and i still would but the, the same problem that every company has like with animal definitely a problem just to uh just to keep the the wheels in motion there but man ralph always prioritized paying riders which even sometimes i was like dude how are you paying this guy and but he just knew how important it was and it and it is like animals still i like guess not animal 2010 but man animal still has credibility and it's still mm-hmm. a real company it's perceived as a rider a rider owned company for riders it really really is you know i don't care what anyone else says like i i probably still rock a bunch of animal parts on my bike and i know if i needed some now ralph would send them to him you know like he's just he gets it to it to it to a fault you know to his own detriment sometimes because he kind of gives away too much stuff but at the same time you know it just keeps the just keeps it moving just keeps people stoked you know yeah and i would say that the time period we're in is going to weed out the people who aren't that way. Yeah, of course. Exactly. Like animals still be there somehow. Like, like mm-hmm. how is it still here? And see, I, I stay in touch with Ralph. I haven't talked to, I haven't talked shop with him recently, but like there's new stuff. Like when you see, when I see animal, new animal tires or restock on animal tires, like we were talking about the mold thing earlier, like they're not new animal tires because they're not opening molds. That's yeah. That's not in the budget, but just that they're having tires produced is huge because it's expensive and there's minimums. Like you, mm. you can't get a hundred tires made. You know, yeah. you a lot of tires made. You have to commit to it. You have to you have to pay the factory to get them here. Like it's just not going to happen otherwise. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot to it. <clears throat> but in terms of being like a sponsored rider and trying to make a living, geez, man, I don't know. I get, I I hate to. I don't even want to know how small the number of riders are right now that are like actually surviving <clears throat> at any kind of realistic wage you know on just their riding income or their sponsor income because it it's probably pretty small if you completely exclude anything outside of the bmx industry paying people and it's just someone surviving from right i bet you to an extent there's very very few people who even have that ability and that most people have other avenues of income too right well i'm including guys that have like an energy drink sponsor which there's fewer and fewer of those of course too mm-hmm. even those guys like you know like the shoe sponsors there's, there's not there's not that many shoe gigs anymore you know yeah. like and the bike companies just can't afford it but but it's rad i mean you see like I've just seen like Odyssey has been adding a bunch of people and some of those they're just, I know they're like parts sponsors or whatever, but at least they're like, you know, they're giving back, you know, they're supporting riders, like getting yep. free, big deal for 
a young rider that has been paying for parts. Bike parts are expensive. Right, exactly. Odyssey is prestigious, you know, like that's a big deal to get Odyssey parts or get a Haro frame or whatever, you know, to get any frame. Mm-hmm. That's rad. And I mean, you know, is Garrett Reynolds going to ride for parts? No, of course not. But he, if anyone, you know, there's like that elite group and he's one of them, you know, that those dudes deserve everything anything that comes their way you know like they deserve all of it yeah and to have any company expanding their support for riders or adding more riders right now yes is just like it just shows what they're in it for more than anything else yeah exactly that's how i I feel the same way like it's just making a statement about their their dedication to bmx and their support for it you know Yep, wholeheartedly agree. So, what do you think? What do you think BMX needs right now? Hmm, I don't know, man. It needs uh, settle down, man. <laughs> like, settle like, down. It doesn't need to settle down. It needs to ramp up and be stoked. I needs more events. Events are tough though. Like you, you're an event guy, but you can't just like, you can't just have an event at the local skate park necessarily. A lot of them you have to have permits and it's like more hassle than it's worth. Yeah. Not, you just can't do it, you know, or like a trail, like I've had trail jams at my house and it's kind of a nightmare. I'm like, "Ah, it's at my house, you know, like it's on my property. If someone gets hurt or someone shows up and then I don't, you know, like that's all scary stuff. Yeah. It's very, I'm very lucky in the situation with our trails and that they are on private property that, it's not where the dude lives. It's, yeah. it's he bought the property because the trails were on it and they were gonna get torn down. And the oh, school wow. district was like, he he just offered like, well, what if I bought it? And really? so they sold it to him for super cheap. And so he's owned them for over twenty years at this point. And oh, like, it's out of the city limits, so they're just even though it's right there. And so it's perfect. We just, we have a trail jam and we don't really have to worry about too much of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, there's definitely more. Yeah, that's awesome. But that's the exception rather than the rule. You oh, know, exactly. I, I recognize that. And, and trails like, God, dude, trails are so much. Like I said, when I was a kid, I it was like just building one jump. It'd be like a foot wide because I was too lazy to make it wider than that. Mm-hmm. Just fall down. But I would still ride it all the time. But there's more bike parks and pump tracks and hey, man, I don't want to like, I don't want to say anything negative about anything, but a lot of pump tracks I just think are so lame. Like they're just, they just roll around and like, like come on, dude, what? There's nothing even here. Like yeah, boring pretty quick. But they're not all like that. And it seems like lately, like that new one in Dayton has like the wooden lips and big landings and like that looks the one that. In Cleveland, Cliffs. Cleveland looks super fun. I oh, it was your video that I watched, and I'm like, that place looks rad. Yeah, it's so cool. I think the the detriment to the ones that are just kind of boring and meh are is budget and lack of people in the community who know about things to get involved and have an input on what ends up being there. To where Correct. it's like, we'll give you this much money. We don't know anything about what you're building, so just take our money and build us something. Right. We want a skate park. It's the same exact problem. Yep. There's no one, you know, that knows what they're doing is involved in the, the city. But the skate park is great, of course. Have you been to that 
that pump track and like it's not it's a name like Worcester kind of like it's south of it's in the middle of nowhere like it's are you talking Wor- about Newark no not Newark the it's a pump track it's like an asphalt pump track in uh in Ohio yeah it's like south of Toledo uh no are you talking about Sandusky it's by a skate park no then I'm not sure it, it, it doesn't matter but it is literally nothing there's like it's like a four corner town that doesn't even have like a flashing light it has like stop signs like, yeah <laughs> like broken down houses around it and everything I'm like how is there a bike park here yeah but anyway I digress um but that stuff's all I think it's healthy sometimes it's like oh if it sucks like it's boring like are kids gonna keep riding it like you're gonna Will it inspire them to go other places? Maybe, like, the kids that are into it, mm-hmm. their own stuff. It's a lot of work, and, like, my kids wouldn't build a jump, just or anything, you know? Yeah. Like, that's work. I get it. Like, I didn't want to work either. But as an adult, I understand, like, if I want to have it. Like, I was always scared of trails. I still am when I go to trails. Like, they're so intimidating. <clears throat> that's why... I, I just had to build my own. I'm like, I, I have to build my own. I won't be scared of them. And I still am. Mm-hmm. But that's the difference, you know. But yeah. I also enjoy working on them. And I, it's good fitness, you know, yep. like the core strength. Like in the spring, like I'm in such good shape because my, like your core, like my back hurts right now, you know. Like it doesn't hurt after I've been digging for a, a bit. Like that's the best I am. And yeah. You know? Somebody said, or t- Two people said Rudolph is what it is. Rudolph, thank you. Yeah. I was looking at Google Maps, like trying to find it, but yeah, that's the one. That's exactly it, Rudolph. Yeah, we. It, it's lucky that the parks around here, we had enough notice before that they're being built that we could get involved with it. Like, there's a new skate park going in a town 15 minutes from here that, they the community and the people the leaders who are in charge of the project really reached out and did the right thing got involved with the community and the people like me and the other like skateboarders who have been skating forever and got our input and now the end result of the skate park that's going in is a design that is just awesome and that's great that's that's so awesome and it wouldn't have been potentially if it was just them throwing money at the company and getting whatever random stock layout they take off the computer the lowest bid Mm -hmm. yeah no i've man i've tried i'm in the town i live in is so small and i've been to a couple meetings and like they're so into it but there's no money and it's it's the whole thing like yeah i don't know like i could probably put some effort into trying to fundraising but man that's a whole that's a whole other animal you know and it's so much money Right. Yeah, it's a ton of money. Like, it's not like we're going to have a, a bake sale. <laughs> yeah, you're going to make a hundred bucks. Our wash and put a dent in anything, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, you've been talking, Brant. Seems like an awfully long time. Two hours and I'm about to pee my pants. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, uh, with that being said, where can people find you on the internet, Scott Town? At Scott Town. Instagram. And... We can look forward to Gray Stoke coming in April, hopefully. Yeah, you'll see more about it soon. But um, yeah, the actual magazine, April. Cool. April, March 31st. How about that? Let's there push we go. it. 
we're bumping it up. But social media and stuff will launch soon. I actually have a media kit if anyone's interested in advertising. Nice. Hit, hit me up. Like, selling it. Doing everything. Hey. I'm going to be delivering the magazines. I'm going to drive around and deliver the magazines to save on shipping because shipping is so expensive now. Perfect. And if anybody does want to do advertising, get that media kit. I love that I have this thing that I can use to potentially help people. I know you don't need it for something like that. Yeah, but... yeah I do. Yeah. Well, you, of course we do. I'm saying I feel like you might not need my help to get to do that, but I hope that I can help. We need your help, Fran. You do, do I just want to say I know we're trying to get off here, but you're I like you admittedly don't like know the history on stuff. And that I I would say that also like I'm not one of those annoying old dudes that thinks kids need to know their history. Like I don't feel that way at all. Like kids don't need to care. Like they mm-hmm they want to know like more power to them like if they're into it like do you know who Levinson is? he's so into like old school bmx stuff it's so rad and i yeah. love that he's a really cool dude i like him a lot um but like who cares like you don't need to know what happened in 1978 like i care because i was there or i wanted to be there you know mm-hmm. like but not not everyone needs to give a shit you know if you're into bmx now and you are and you strike me as a dude that's just always been you clearly love bmx and i love that about you and i love that really comes through and all the stuff that you do like i think it's super rad and i think Thank what you. You, it was good and you provide like a, a really important perspective to bmx because it's not like you're not it's not in the name of your sponsors. You're not trying to sell anything or promote an upcoming magazine like I'm trying to do, which is not why I'm doing this at all. But, but I think that's really important and it's really pure. And I think it's really rad that you do it and keep doing it. And that's a big thing too. You can see so many things come and go, and you're still doing it. And that's huge. Thank you. Yeah. Power to you. Thank you. I've been doing it since literally there was no one watching and I would do it if there was still no one watching because like you, I just want BMX to be my literally my entire life. And (laughs) I recognize that YouTube could make something like that happen. And I've been very lucky that my mission and everything I'm trying to do where it's like I recognize that I've become this connection between normal everyday riders in the industry yeah to kind of relay back and forth like this is what's going on this is what riders want whatever just connect the two i i recognize that and kind of lean into it a little bit in a way where i can and i don't know everything but i can learn it from people like you and everyone else that i do these talks with so i'm very lucky that all of that has and everything I've been doing has brought people that want to support what I have going on and I I'm never going to take it for granted I just appreciate it well you've earned the status I in my opinion and that's it's awesome dude and cheers to you for all of it and keep doing it man we all need it we all need more we need you said what does BMX need besides events and places to ride which there's those are there and there seems like there's more of them but like Mm -hmm. not everyone should do what you're doing but what you're doing is important man it's it's something like you just people need to be stoked and they need knowledge and they need just 
a reason to believe, you know? They need more BMX. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, let's wrap it up. Yeah, I'm going to literally Super pee cool my pants. Appearance. Steve Bundeck will be so stoked if he makes it this far. I love it. Steve Bundeck, hit me up. Let's do one of these. Scott, thank you for All your right. time. It's All been right, fun. And uh, hopefully I'll run into you somewhere. Yeah, eventually we'll meet somewhere. We will. It'll happen. All right. All right. Have a good night, everyone.